Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got another question. Now, if you were a transformer, what vehicle would you turn into? Man, am I ready for this question. So I have never watched Transformers. I don't know much about Transformers except for Optimus Prime. So I looked up all of the Transformer characters, and my answer is I would be Wheeljack. Wheeljack that's has... That's an actual character? That's an actual Transformer. Okay. One of the Autobots, not one of the Decepticons. Oh, good. And he has an Einstein-ish head. He has an Irish <laughs> accent. He turns into a 2009 Mercedes-Benz E550. And he is the Transformer equivalent of Q from James Bond. So Wheeljack creates all the gadgets and weapons for the Autobots. So... My answer is the mad scientist Wheeljack. Oh that, my gosh. That is a great answer. That was that was thorough research right there. And the most preparation I've done for a podcast <laughs> recording in months. What I, about you, Clayton? Wow, the, the roles are reversed a little bit here because I'm basically just like, um, I think a helicopter would be cool. I turned into a helicopter. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> so I didn't I don't even know I don't even know which Transformer turns into a helicopter. I know there are some, but I don't I don't have a name picked out. Yeah, I don't know the names either. I was I was thinking like a fast car or I thought about a plane, like it would be cool to fly places. Like you didn't even get specific. You're just like a car fast like please. a fast car yeah like if, <laughs> I, if, if i was not able to afford a fast car like a really really fast expensive car which one would it be or should i become an airplane so i can fly wherever i want whenever didn't, i want so didn't very we learn practical. didn't we learn in previous episodes that you would become a dodge neon <laughs> isn't that your dream <laughs> dodge no, neon? Okay. that's the you car i wanted that. when i was a 15 year old young girl of, to which someone walked up to me in the middle service and was like i completely disagree with your like desire for a dodge <laughs> neon like that's the worst they should ever. completely that's disagree right. with that's your right. desire for 15. a dodge neon and let me point out the fact that there are no transformers that turn into dodge neons <laughs> Just proves the point. Tell further. you something. Even little kids know that's not cool. Oh, so. Can you imagine if Optimus Prime turned into a Dodge Neon? <laughs> like no one would care about no, the Transformers. This work. All right. Okay. Okay. Clayton, what are we looking at today? All right. We are starting another book of the Bible. We are in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and here's the truth: Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible by words, not necessarily by chapters, but by words. It's the longest, which means we're going to be in Jeremiah for a stretch. I think about seven weeks we're going to be doing this. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. If you've been listening to this podcast for more than a few weeks, you know that every time we start a new book of the Bible, we suggest that people either watch the Bible Project video on the book or read the introduction to the book that's found in a good study Bible. What if I asked you who wrote the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah, right? Nope. And kind of. Curious? You should watch the Bible Project video on the book of Jeremiah. Google Bible Project Jeremiah or find the Bible Project videos at BibleSavvy.com and you're all set. And this has been your comma tip of the week. Wow, that was a great tease. That was great. That was really good. Okay, you're just going to have to check it out. Uh, Let me give you another source for uh, context information here. Uh, Recently, we had a professor come in who is an expert in the prophets, and he did uh, a workshop that we had on Jeremiah, spent a a couple hours uh, talking it through. And uh, if all goes well, okay, so we're recording this a little ahead of time, uh, but if all goes well, that should be posted at BibleSavvy.com, the video of that, um, and you should be able to go and see uh, what Dr. Graves talked about, about Jeremiah as well. 
Yeah. So, and if it's not posted, it means somebody messed up. And so, if you don't find the the Bible savvy workshop video posted, just go to our Facebook page, and we will let you know who messed up oh, on our social media platforms. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh my gosh! All right, let me give you a little bit of context that's helpful here. Okay, so Jeremiah is a prophet, and uh, the prophetic genre it has a few different characteristics that are important. Uh, one is to know that most of it's in poetry. Okay, so you're going to see kind of you know poetic lines here, um, and it, so there's a lot of imagery and a lot of things that are figurative for things or uh, kind of emotional or evocative of things. So you want to pay attention to that. The other thing to know is this, when we talk about prophets, our instinct is to think of a prophet as someone who tells the future. And occasionally that's what prophets do. But the primary job of a prophet is to speak on God's behalf. It's actually more helpful to think of a prophet as kind of a lawyer on behalf of God. So God usually has something that he wants to say to his people um, there has been a, a, a violation, a breach in our relationship, our covenant, our agreement. And the, the prophet comes to say, here's where the breach has happened and how to fix it. So Jeremiah is essentially the last in a line of prophets headed towards a serious crisis. The people of Israel have been rebelling for a long time, for centuries now, and uh, so much so that one half of the country, the northern kingdom, was already invaded and taken away as punishment, and now the southern half of the kingdom is going down the same path, and Jeremiah is saying, you need to stop. This is going to come upon you. And essentially, he's got the, the sad job of saying, it's about inevitable now. Um, you, better, you better think about what you're doing. So uh, we're going to read about that. As we go through the book, um, it's going to get closer and closer to the consequences of this. The consequence of this, you need to know, is that the empire of Babylon invades and takes away Israel, uh, Judah, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, into exile. So you've probably heard us talk about the exile. This is like right on the verge. Jeremiah lives through this event. So you need to kind of know historically that that's what's about to happen. All right, let's start in Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to read the first 19 verses of this chapter. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord, who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Cater and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, 
you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared. They have growled at him. They have laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. Also, the men of Memphis and Toppenes have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. All right, let's talk about the O and comma observations. What do you guys see in this passage? Um, The first thing that I see is this repeated, uh, the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord said. Uh, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. It's just, it's, you can't miss it in here. Uh, My observation is a question. In verse 13, he says, my people have committed two sins, but while I was reading, because I was reading it, I only heard one. They have forsaken me. What was the second one? They have laid waste to his land? And have dug. No, they dug their own cisterns. So it says, they've forsaken me the spring of living water. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving you fresh water and life. And you've abandoned me. But then you turned around and you dug your own cisterns, which are like pits to collect rainwater. And they can't hold any water. So it's saying your sin is abandoning me and then turning to this worthless thing. Mm-hmm. Are like the two, the two things. Okay. So two sides of the same coin, yeah. really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's sort of like saying you broke up with me and then you went out with her? Like that. that kind <laughs> what? <of> <laughs> Um, my observation here is um, the repetition of the word worthless. So it talks about uh, they followed worthless idols. That's in verse 5. They became worthless themselves. Um, and then it repeats that again a few other places where it talks about this worthlessness. There's something um, like flimsy and unrewarding about this thing that they're pursuing. And it's affecting their character and their life even as they, they pursue it. I love the question in verse 11, has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they are not gods at all? So he's saying, look at these other, look at these other countries. They're not swapping out their gods, and their gods aren't even gods at all. You guys just exchanged the one true God for nonsense. I love how he calls himself, he says, their glorious God. Like, God refers to himself as glorious. I think that's amazing. And then he says, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror. Like, the exchanging of God, the glorious God, for this false, worthless idol is something to be appalled by. It's something to shudder in great horror by. Yeah. That's how he, that's, that's how he puts it. That, that's, that's another one of those reality checks on sin, right? Like, you... You, we think of it as a small time thing, but he's saying no. There, are, this is something to to be to shudder at to say, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what's happening? Um, I I thought the question that God asked in verse five is a really interesting one. He says, "What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me?" Yeah. It it's kind of unmasking what goes on when you walk away from God. Sometimes we describe like going towards sin or going away from God as finding something else appealing. But the flip side of it is, what about God 
wasn't satisfying or wasn't enough? Like what, how are you saying to God, you just weren't enough for me. I needed something else other than you. Like what did, what was my fault? God is asking. And I, I don't know what the tone of voice is on that. I don't know if it's, uh, I think there's probably, it could be read two ways, right? Like one could be like, no, really, like this hurts. You know what I mean? Like there's an insult to that. God's saying, I loved you and you have rejected me. What, what was it about me that you found so terrible? Not that he, no, not that there actually is something terrible, but like yeah. that's painful, but also accusatory. Like really? Like you thought something was wrong with me that you needed something else? How crazy is that? Yeah. And then I love that after he goes on it in verses six and seven, um, he's like, here, let me remind you of all the things I've done for you. Like, so to me, when I read it, I thought about the tone and I, I pictured it. Yeah, it could be accusatory, but I actually pictured it as like him asking in a very sincere tone and then saying, like, can I, can I just remind you of all of these things? Like, just give me a minute to, to lay out in front of you all the things I did for you, all the things I've done. Yeah, there, there is um, a two-sided emotional side to the book of Jeremiah. You're going to see this all through the whole book. Uh, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Um, because there are moments where he's representing God's own heart to say, my people have betrayed me, and that breaks my heart. But he, there's also anger in there of saying, how dare this happen? Um, and so there is like a mix of when God's people betray him, there is both a sorrow and an anger about what that is. And I think we're going to see that come up again and again over the next seven weeks. Verse 16, the men of Memphis, and I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that city correctly. I don't think Toppenes which are both Egyptian cities. So also the men of Memphis and Tapanes have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this upon yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And then the next two questions. Now, why go to Egypt and drink water from the Nile? Why go to Assyria and drink water from the Euphrates? Is, is that a reference to the two previous times that the nation of Israel was in captivity, right? So they were in they were enslaved in Egypt and the northern uh, kingdom of Israel has been taken away to Assyria. Mm-hmm. So the question is funny then, like if he's referencing like if you're going into captivity, why would you want to go into captivity to drink water out of their river? Yeah, it's he he's I, I think what he's saying is you've got a new threat, Babylon, mm-hmm. and you're looking for someone to help you with that. So you're going to go back to these people that you think are powerful, but previously they mistreated you. So like I, this is, this is a, a tough analogy, but like it's like this. You've had a series of three abusive boyfriends. You need to, uh, someone to defend you from the current one. So you're going to go back to your two previous ones who were not good guys, but they might beat up your new boyfriend. And so you're going to go and put your hope in, in their rescue. God is saying, no, you have, a, you have a husband. You have someone who loves you, who is actually more powerful, and it's me. Why would you go to these people who mistreated you all those times as if they were going to defend you from the new bad guy on the horizon? It's, it's again, one of those questions of like, how, what are you thinking in, in all of this? Uh, one of the other observations I saw kind of going back to that, that section we had just talked about a little bit um, about finding fault. He says, um, uh, he says, they did not ask, where is the Lord? So speaking of uh, Israel's ancestors or Judah's ancestors, but then in verse 80 says, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? So you can say it's one thing for the people, everyday people, to forget about me and not ask where, where I was and, and, to, and to forget all the things I've done. But even the priest did, and those are people who knew God's law and meditated on it, but, but even they forgot him. 
Yeah, the verse says, the priest didn't ask, those who deal with the law didn't know, the leaders rebelled, and the mm-hmm. prophets prophesied from Baal. So there, it's like, let's go through every class of leader that you have in your society. Every one of them yeah. didn't ask for me. That's sad. Man, that is a comprehensive abandonment right there. Yeah. Every sector of society abandoned the Lord. Wow. Which then I guess the therefore in verse 9 makes sense. Yeah. Therefore... I bring these charges against you again. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because he says, like, what fault did you find in me? Okay, now let me tell you all the faults I found in yeah. you. Because yeah. he, he can. He can say, here yeah. are all the things you've done. And and yet there is a there is also, there's like, again, this dual kind of like anger and tenderness, uh, sadness. Like, l- look at uh, verse 2 there. It says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness to a land not sown. So it's it's describing in a very about the most positive way you can, the first era of like, I rescued you from Egypt. We made a covenant, like we've set our vows and you followed me through the thing. And we went to a new home in the promised land. And it was like, he's saying like, there was, there was a commitment earlier on that was there. And, and the relationship was meant to be one of affection and love and loyalty. And this is something beautiful and good. Where did it all go wrong? Like he's, he's hearkening back to something beautiful. He's not just like yelling at them because he's mad at them, but he, he loves them and wants to understand. Well, he understands, but he wants to expose what what confusion led to all this. What what mistake led to all this? Verse nineteen, another observation: Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. I, you know, after being raised Roman Catholic, I started going to an Assembly of God church, and in that stream of Christianity, backsliding was a word you would hear a lot. Right, it, it was it, it was a word used to describe someone who was faithfully following the Lord, and then got lazy or ambivalent, or just started walking in a different direction. And they would talk about that as backsliding, which is uh, I never really knew where that. Honestly, I never really knew where that word came from, or for it was even a, a scriptural reference. But here it is in Jeremiah. If we're talking about Israel's Israel's uh, love for the Lord at the beginning, like you just articulated, and now hundreds of years later, they're walking a different path. Right after that, um, it it follows up with, consider then and realize um, how evil and bitter it is for you uh, when you forsake the Lord your God. Um, I I circled consider then and realize, and it was like, you use your brain, just like use your brain and understand how bad this is when you forsake God. Just take a moment and consider it. I thought, Eric, that, that one you pointed out about, it says your wickedness will punish you, your backsliding will rebuke you. It's interesting that the the wickedness and the backsliding itself is the punishment. Like there there are times when the consequence of your sin is being stuck in the sin or or just the natural outworking of what this does in your life. Sometimes we think about God coming from the outside and you know adding some hardship in our life, but sometimes the sin itself leads you into places that are miserable. And and this is where they're at. They're in this place that's not healthy and good. All right, let's go on to the first M in comma, which this week is going to be meditation. So meditation is when we take uh, a portion of the scripture and we have a conversation with God about it. We prayerfully ponder it. And so I'm going to give you 45 seconds to do this. I'm going to read to you verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water.
All right, let's go on to the next M in comma, which is message. What message did you guys get out of these observations? My message is you can find no fault in a faithful God. Okay, so my my message is based on the trajectory of this whole passage, which is they started well. They started off loving the Lord, faithful to the covenant, and have strayed. So my message is start strong and finish strong. Hmm. My message is sin is an insane exchange. That you're you're swapping something glorious and good, you're, this fountain that's overflowing and delicious for these pits in the ground, you know, Money or whatever. Yeah, this 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 rainwater that's in a, a mucky thing. Um, all of these images, all of these ideas of saying, are you thinking through what you're giving up for what you're trying to get? Um, sin is an insane exchange. All right, let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. What do we do in response to these messages? My application is uh, connected to my message. You can find no fault in a faithful God. So um, when I read this passage, I was thankful. I I thought of, I remembered back, like I I remembered back to the stories that I'd read previously in the Bible, but also remembered just how God has shown, shown up faithful in my life. And so I was just thankful for God's faithfulness. And I was also thankful for his forgiveness in my unfaithfulness in times where um, I was less than good in my relationship with him. I was less, I was making poor decisions. Um, and I was able to, to come back. I was able to repent. I was able to be forgiven and remembering his faithfulness is what, um, it's what kind of keeps you on track. It's not what kind of keeps you on track. It is what keeps you on track in your faithfulness. And so to me, that was, that's my application. Thankfulness for God's faithfulness and for his forgiveness in my unfaithfulness. Yeah, because if you think of repentance as kind of like the course correction, you start to stray off the path and you just repent and you're back on the, back on the, the, the right path, then ongoing repentance is the way mm-hmm. to stay faithful to God. Okay, so my application based on my message, which is start strong, finish strong. Uh, I actually remember, don't, don't laugh too loud in your microphones when I say this. I remember being 15, 16 years old, new to faith, and wondering how, how long do I have to follow Jesus before I could be sinless? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Like, I actually would have these thoughts about what perfection would be like. Now, looking back on that, I know now that's somewhat ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, of course, we're not perfect, and we're not going to see perfection on this side of things. So if we're going to start strong and finish strong, it's not about being perfect. It's about the trajectory of the whole thing, right? So it's keeping your eyes on the Lord, honoring the Lord, and being quick to confess and repent, because that is what keeps you in the right trajectory. So start strong, finish strong doesn't mean perfection. It just means staying faithful to the Lord as best you can and keeping your eyes on Jesus. My message is uh, sin is an insane exchange, and the application for that is when I get to, um, very practically, when I am confessing my sin to God, sometimes when I confess sin, I'm simply saying sorry and, and so on, but there is a, a part of that process where you actually look and say, what was it that I was looking for in that other thing? If I thought that I, I could turn from God and go towards this, and I was thinking this was going to give me something, I, I have to examine what it was I was swapping for God and say, is it really worth it? Was it really going to deliver? And, and actually expose the fact that that temptation wasn't going to give me what, I, what it was promising uh, so that I could look back at God and say, actually, the thing that I most long for and desire and need 
is with him so that I, I, I kind of recalibrate instead of saying, God isn't giving me this, but this will. I say, that can't give me this, but God can. You know what book comes to my mind when you say that? There's a book where that's essentially the whole thesis of the book. And it's it's been out for like, gosh, probably 15, 20 years now. It's called Surfing for God. And the, the, the premise of the whole book is for people who are online looking for porn, you're looking for something, but it's not porn. And the porn isn't going to deliver it. You're looking for things that only God can bring to your life. And so you kind of have to know what, what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. And yeah. so, so it's, that, it's the idea of an exchange. You're, you're looking for something that it's, it's never going to give to you. And so the title of that book is Surfing for God. That's great. There you go. A book reference for a book that came out 15 years ago. I don't, I'm not going to get any royalties on that, I don't think. That's great. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week, friends. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading along today. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. Optimus Prime. Dodging the eye. <laughs>